have a buzzard-heavy show today on Roto Underworld Radio. Contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Lots of buzzard emails, lots of buzzard texts and tweets to get to today. I think a big reason is that this week I was fairly overexposed. We had our own show. We had three episodes counting today of Roto Underworld Radio this week. Plus, I was a guest co-host on Rotoviz Radio with Matthew Friedman, and I was also a guest on the Angle of Pursuit Fake Pigskin podcast. All that adds up to a lot of exposure, a lot of Matt Kelly on the airwaves, and a lot of opinions shooting in every direction. I've sort of lost track of all of my opinions. I think I need to create a book or a, a binder just for the record. Like people say, oh, for the record. Oh, well, let's get this for the record. Yeah, I actually do need a record of all my takes so I can keep them straight. I don't know which ones I'm repeating. I can't keep track of what I said when. It's 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 kind of crazy. So it's difficult. So if, you, if, you're, if you're buzzarding me, if you're hitting me with some criticism, or you're asking me a question on an email, in a tweet, I might take a take an extra amount of time, might take me a few extra minutes or hours to get back to you so I can figure out what what the hell are you talking about? What what do I believe? What what do I really think? Where am I? What's going on? Oof. And if you heard the unedited version of Roto Viz Radio, you would know what I'm talking about. During that whole show, with Pat Mayo and Matthew Friedman, I was a rambling lunatic. I just was... I, I had just done the Roto Underworld show. I jumped on with Matthew Friedman. I had just finished writing an article on something else. And I was just blah. It was just bleh. Stream of conscious. And I was worried. I was playing tennis. Uh, and I, I told my tennis coach, I said, hey... Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I had epiphany. I was, I think I was just mid-forehand, and I had an epiphany. I grabbed my phone. I called Matthew Friedman. I said, Friedman, I just had an epiphany. We, we had just wrapped the show an hour ago. Then I went to a tennis lesson. I said, Matt, I'm, I'm in the middle of a tennis lesson, and I dropped my racket because I, I just had a realization that I was just a complete rambling buffoon on your show. And maybe we should just forget it. Maybe you just don't do the show. Or if you can find a way to just basically cut out everything I said and just focus on Pat Mayo for the whole show, maybe that's what we should do. And he said, don't worry, I got this. Don't worry, I got this. And I said, oh, God. So I was really worried. I was nervous about the Rotoviz radio show and how I was going to come off because I just didn't feel like I was on point. I thought it, it did. I had no. I had. I thought it was impossible to listen to that show and for it to be tight. But that's exactly what you what you heard. I, I'm listening to the show. I'm like, is that the same show that I did? Because Matthew Friedman gets that show, and he is a magician in the studio. I mean, he's like the RZA, or is it Jizza? can't keep I don't remember is it Jizza or Rizza email the show rotounderworld at gmail.com tweet us at rotounderworld am I thinking of Rizza or Jizza 
in terms of the the Wu Tang Clan's producer, the guy that's the the magic behind the scenes that can take the ramblings of an old dirty bastard and turn it into something that's radio worthy. Whoever, whatever parallel, that's Matthew Friedman. He's the fantasy football podcast parallel to either Rizza or Jizza. The audience will let us know. And if you don't have a lot of time, I, I highly re- even if you don't have a lot of time, I highly recommend at least listening to 15 minutes of the Rotoviz Radio. It's worth your time. And if you only have a couple minutes, I would suggest fast-forwarding to the end. The final couple minutes of outtakes are, well, I, I think they were magical, but they weren't magical because of anything I said or anything Pat Mayo said or anything Matthew Friedman said. The way he edited it, the way he cut and spliced those clips into something that was actually, that made me sound funny, was, was just genius. The guy's a genius, okay? He's, he, he's a Rizza Jizza. He's a Rizza Jizza, Jizza Rizza level genius in terms of production of a podcast. I'll say that. So the buzzards are coming at me from all angles because they're listening to this show over here. They're listening to that show over here. They're listening to our show. And then poof, just buzzardry all over. So the first thing I'm getting that I wanted to talk about is links back to... Again, we've talked about this on the show, and I said, don't send me these links to these mainstream hack sports articles. And that's what I'm getting now. Links back to to articles from a month ago where Aaron Rodgers praises Devontae Adams for being the MVP of OTAs for the Green Bay Packers. Thank you, buzzards. Thank you for for sending me that link. I I, I I didn't hear that news blurb. I didn't read that on Pro Football Talk. I have no idea. This is news to me. Well, thank you very much for that helpful link, buzzards. I had no idea Devontae Adams was the MVP of OTAs. Well, that's very helpful. So thank you. Thank you for that. No, it's not helpful. Yes, of course I read that. I mean, do you... Who do you think you are sending those links to me as if I haven't read them? As if you're if you're enlightening me in some way? And the thing that's maddening about those buzzards that just send the links to the to the hype pieces or to the fluff pieces is they're not real listeners to the show. They're casual drive-by listeners. Because I, the, the hardcore audience, the minions of this show, know better than that. Because what is the thing that I always say about these articles? These mainstream, beat reporter, hype and fluff pieces that are spewing out of the, the, the local media coverage of these teams. Think about the roots of the stories. Where do these stories come from? How do these stories get to these media members? And that's what I'd ask you to do as it relates to this Devontae Adams is the MVP of OTAs. Because I I hadn't heard anything about Devontae Adams throughout OTAs. Hadn't heard a thing. There was not a single blurb about Devontae Adams throughout OTAs. Anywhere. There were plenty of Jeff Janis blurbs throughout OTAs. Oh, Jeff Janis 
playing the role of the number one receiver with Devontae Adams out, playing the role of the number one receiver with Jordy Nelson out, excuse me. Oh, Aaron Rodgers hooking up with Jeff Janis for another touchdown during OTAs. Those were the stories. Jeff Janis going to take a leap. Remember, we we did a whole show on Mike McCarthy's praise of Jeff Janis because that was that was off the cuff praise. He was just for for no reason during a press conference he decided to bring up Jeff Janis's name. No one asked him about Jeff Janis. Hey, how's Jeff Janis doing? It was an open-ended question, and Mike McCarthy decided to bring up Jeff Janis's name. That's very different. That is very different than what you saw with Devontae Adams, where stories were planted with the local media, where it, all in concert, Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers, all coming out together with the same language the same talking points about Devontae Adams, like it was a broken record, like it was planned. And it went out to all the media. It wasn't just the guys that happened to be hanging around a practice, one particular practice in the middle of the summer. No, it was at the end of OTAs, when everyone was gathered around, they planned to bring up Devontae Adams and award Devontae Adams with this MVP of OTA's baloney designation. Why'd they do that? Again, the Jeff Janis praise was spontaneous. The Devontae Adams praise at the end of OTA's with no big plays during practice to back it up. It was just, it was scripted. Why is that? Why would they do that? Think of it, think it through. Think critically. Whenever you read something in mainstream media, doesn't even have to be sports, politics, sports, whatever it is, think critically. What are the roots of the story? Why is it out there? And I have an I have a theory. My theory is as follows. Devontae Adams is watching Jeff Janis score touchdowns. And he's feeling bad about himself. Devontae Adams had issues last year with drops, running the wrong routes. There seemed to be a mental short-circuiting with Devontae Adams once he stepped on an NFL field. It wasn't Fresno State anymore. And mentally, Devontae Adams struggled in 2014. No one would dispute that. So now, we're in 2015, and in OTAs, There's no Jordy Nelson, and still, he can't be called upon to make big plays. Now, it's the ball's going to Jeff Janis. And it must be maddening if you're Devontae Adams. And if you're a young player who already had a year, his rookie year, in which he mentally short-circuited, what do you think is going to happen to him? How is that going to affect his confidence? And how might a, a lowering of his confidence affect his play on the field even during practice. I think the coaches would notice something like that. And I think they would want to take action. And if I were Mike McCarthy, and I were the quarterback, if I were Aaron Rodgers, I would take positive action to try to 
prop this player up, to instill him with confidence. I would intervene. And that's what I believe they did. I believe they sat around the table with Aaron Rodgers and they said, we need to prop this guy up. We need to get this guy feeling relaxed on the football field and feeling like we believe in him. Let's plant these stories at the end of OTAs calling him the MVP and not Jeff Janis. Jeff Janis, who if you were actually following OTAs in the day-to-day reports from OTAs, Jeff Janis was the MVP. It wasn't Devontae Adams. So you just got to think through what the roots of the story would be and think critically. Not just take everything that the beat reporters spew on face, for face, val- on face value. It just doesn't make sense. You, that's not how the world works. There is bias embedded in almost everything you read. Every piece of nonfiction that you read is layered with subjective viewpoints, subjective analysis, and bias. And so the question is always, what are the roots? Why is this story coming out now? And if you think think it through, well, then the Devontae Adams praise, there's a chance it's contrived. So that's all I'll say on that. Ladarius Green. We have to talk about Ladarius Green. Of course we're going to talk about Ladarius Green. That's why we do a show three days a week. So when there's huge breaking news, I can react to it. Let's hit it. <laughs> Jim was thrown over to Matt Kelly with the Roto Underworld reaction to Ladarius Green news. So I went to Twitter and I I looked looked for commentary about Ladarius Green and, and here's what I heard. Here's what I read. I thought this was there was going to be just an avalanche of hype surrounding Ladarius Green. I thought everyone was going to be just. I thought they were going to be. It was like one of those. If you think about those videos that are sped up, if you imagine in a train yard putting together the train, but all sped up, well, I imagine that's what they were doing. Like the creation of the Ladarius Green hype train. I thought that's what I was going to see. I thought my entire Twitter timeline would just be the caboose and then the the rail cars and then the engine just being smushed together and then and then them firing the engine up and choo 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 Ladarius Green. I thought that's what I would be reading on my Twitter timeline. I assumed that would be a case. This is Ladarius Green we're talking about. We've been waiting for this for years. Isn't isn't that what I was going... I was so ready to read that. I was so ready. In my mind, I, I, I went to open Twitter and I was like, five, four, three, two, one. And then it didn't happen. I read this. If Ladarius Green is so good, then why did they give so many targets to Eddie Royal last year? Eddie Royal, so many targets, 91 targets, 16.0% target share, 69th in the league. Yeah, so many targets to to Eddie Royal. Not the case. Eddie Royal didn't get that many targets. 
They should have given Eddie Royal more targets. Eddie Royal's efficiency last year was good. Production premium, plus 16.5, which is our situation agnostic efficiency metric. That was 18th in the league. His catch rate for a slot receiver, that's what you want. You want a great catch rate, 68.1, 14th in the league. And he was 61.5% contested catch conversion rate. That was 13th in the league. He was great. He was great last year. So what was what's why was it surprising that they gave him 91 targets? They should have thrown the ball to Eddie Royal more. He should have gotten more than 100 targets. But he didn't. Oh well. Now he's on the Bears. Eddie Royal is now on the Bears, and he's a great value on the Bears. I highly suggest drafting Eddie Royal near the end of your MFL 10s, if that's what you're doing right now, or any draft master league. Eddie Royal's a perfect guy to draft. An older player who is who has had steady production over the last five years, and you know is going to get you know, close to a 20% target share. We've talked about that before. That's why we like, in, in, in Draftmaster formats, that's why we like drafting Vincent Jackson and Roddy White and Marcus Colston and Larry Fitzgerald. You draft Eddie Royal for the same reasons, only Eddie Royal is available much later. Interesting thing in terms of his ADP. Eddie Royal's ADP rose in, a, in the last two weeks. There's... Nothing new happened with the Bears. There's been no news surrounding the Bears receiving core. Yet, Eddie Royal's ADP on my fantasy league rose 37 spots in the last two weeks. So on playerprofiler.com, we post the myfantasyleague.com ADP for all of their draft master formats and best ball formats. And we... And the ADP that we post is only drafts that occurred in the last two weeks. Because that's all that matters. What are people thinking now? These ADPs that include drafts from months ago are useless. They're irrelevant. You, if you want a relevant ADP, look at the last two weeks. And that's all we post on playerprofiler.com. The player's ADP the last two weeks. Eddie Royal, his ADP went from 207 to 170. That was the largest increase or decrease, however you want to think of it. His cost increased by more than anyone else over this last two-week period. It's interesting and justified. But just because it's a it's a it's a false dichotomy comparing Ladarius Green and Eddie Royal because, hello, Ladarius Green is a tight end. So I don't know why, how that conversation started. Silly. I love thinking about Ladarius Green. When I first read the news and I received a, a real-time alert on my phone, I thought about all the players that are in dynasty leagues or, or in redraft leagues that, for whatever reason aren't Draftmaster and already had their draft. And I think about all those players that are in these leagues with these free add-drop periods where you can just go in and add a player and drop a player at any time in real time. 
I'm not in any of those leagues. All my leagues are scheduled fab bidding. That's it. You can't just pick up a player at any point because it's unfair. It's unfair to people who's... What if, what if a doctor is in your league and he's in surgery when the news breaks? So the guy is at a disadvantage because he's a doctor and he can't get to his phone? That doesn't make sense. So the, no leagues should ever have just open ad drop. Fundamentally, I think that's stupid. You should have scheduled waiver periods and that's it. But I imagine people in these silly leagues that allow for just real-time adding and dropping, just running to their phones and, like, fumbling with their phones. And going, oh, I gotta get a legendary screen. Oh, I can't. I'm trying to hit the button. I'm just nervous. I'm, I'm rushing. <laughs> and, and, and hitting the wrong button, dropping the wrong player, or just too nervous, can't pick him up fast enough, and someone else gets him. That's what I imagine happening. And I imagine it in particular because there has to be a number of players, a number of fantasy gamers, who were Ladarius Green fans, but then eventually they soured on him. They just dropped him. They said, I can't I can't take it anymore. Antonio Gates is never going to die. He's immortal. He'll be in the NFL forever. He's Antonio Gates is on the Tony Gonzalez career path. It's never going to happen for Ladarius Green. Drop. And those are the people I think that were most interested in getting to their phones and get picking him up. But imagine that, though. Imagine, imagine if you imagine in your mind's eye all your fantasy teams, these fantasy squads, and you can imagine running a fantasy squad as if it's a real squad, and the players actually come and go from the building. Right. So you cut Ladarius Green. So you, you had to bring Ladarius Green in your office and say, Hey, Ladarius, can I have your, your binder? You know, thanks so much for everything you did for the, for the franchise. We really enjoyed you. We think you have a bright future in this league, just not with our organization. You're just not a fit at this time. But I'm sure you'll land on your feet, Ladarius. And you, you, you drop him for someone else. Then you go out and you, you nervously pick him back up. And he walks back into the facility. And he just gives you this scowl. And you look at him and you're just like, I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. But Antonio Gates is suspended for the first four games. So, welcome back? <laughs> Imagine just like sending Ladarius Green flowers. You know, just every day he comes to his locker and there's just more flowers. And eventually he breaks down, and you just have just crazy, sweaty, passionate makeup sex with Ladarius. Wait, what? What am I talking? No. What? <laughs> okay. Anyway. why am, am I excited about Ladarius Green? Yes or no? I am excited about Ladarius Green. I don't think this is just going to be a, a four-week window of productivity and then it's back to Antonio Gates. I don't think that's the way this is going to play out. Okay, If we go to Ladarius Green's profile, this is a guy that you we've always hoped would get an opportunity to be the number one tight end. So if we talk about his ability in the passing game, he's a 6-6 tight end. Over 240 pounds, who runs a 4-5-3. 
that comes out to a 116.4 height adjusted speed score. That's 90th percentile. Among tight ends, he's in the 95th percentile 40 time, and he's in the 90th percentile height adjusted speed score and his burst score. So we equally mix the vertical jump and the broad jump together, 122.4, 74th percentile. His agility score, merely average. His catch radius, 1018, 82nd percentile. So this is a phenomenal athlete who had a college dominator of 34.1%. Sure, it was at Louisiana Lafayette. He was at a small school. So you take that, not with a grain of salt, but you don't want to assign full weight and full value to that college dominator. In fact, Brian Tesh wrote an article for playerprofiler.com in which he analyzed the impact of large conferences, medium conferences, and small conferences on college dominator ratings, on breakout age, on college yards per reception. And what he found was the dominator more than any other is impacted by the school you went to. So there is a significant uptick in your college dominator if you went to a small school. Regardless, Ladarius Green's college dominator was still well over the 90th percentile. He was a dominant receiver at the college level. He had a 15.0 college yards per reception. That was dominant. His breakout age was 18.3. That was 98th percentile. He's simply a phenomenal pass-catching freak athlete. That is what Ladarius Green is. So if Antonio Gates isn't playing, he is going to receive a large number of targets. Let's say, let's say for, hypothetically, Antonio Gates never comes back. You would have to assume Ladarius Green will get at least 100 targets in 2015 and be a tight end one in fantasy based on the volume and based on the projected efficiency and the, and the productivity that comes with it when you have a, an athlete of Ladarius Green's caliber running tight end routes. Also, there aren't like it's not like there's great options in San Diego. You have Keenan Allen. He's good. He's not a wide receiver one in this league. Keenan Allen is a is one of the better possession receivers in the league. He's an elite possession receiver. But Keenan Allen is not Julio Jones. They have another elite possession receiver in Stevie Johnson. That's that's what, basically, outside of the tight end position, if you look at just wide receivers on the Chargers, it's essentially great possession receivers and Malcolm Floyd. So again, that helps Ladarius Green in terms of when you're projecting his targets and his target share. The question about Ladarius Green, in my mind, in, in, in the long run, his role on a team, is his blocking. So we know he's 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 going to be fantastic in passing situations. What about running situations? Because that matters. The best tight ends in the league are the tight ends that play almost every snap, that are in the game in almost every situation. That's the tight ends that you want. That's your Greg Olson, your Martellus Bennett, your Rob Gronkowski, there's a reason why those guys are all 260-plus pounds. They're 6'5", 6'6". Travis Kelsey, he's the next ascending tight end one. Because, of course, because he has the size and the athleticism to be dominant as a blocker and as a pass catcher. 
and be great in all phases. That's required. The pass blocking is important. So with Ladarius Green, what was his run blocking grade last year? So to get Ladarius Green's run blocking grade, I had to go to Pro Football Focus. We don't have the the individual players' run blocking grades on PlayerProfiler.com, and I, I don't plan to ever do that. But this was a very a niche situation where you needed to go look it up. Now, the problem I have with Pro Football Focus is going to Pro Football Focus always feels like you're water skiing behind an aircraft carrier. There's just too much firepower for the task at hand. If you're not, or if I'm not, a hardcore IDP fantasy player or an NFL front office person, I don't really see the need for Pro Football Focus. In fact, that idea, the, the fact that Pro Football Focus is just way too much information for me and what I need in fantasy football, that's one of the reasons why I created playerprofiler.com in the first place, is to have a simpler, easier, free way to look up advanced stats without having to comb through Pro Football Focus's mountain of information. Very little of it relevant to me as a fantasy gamer. But for this stat, I had to go to I had to had to grip my teeth, and I had to invest ten minutes hunting down Ladarius Green's individual run blocking grade on Pro Football Focus. And it's good news. The good news is it's negative point three, which is essentially average. He's not great. He's not awful. That's fine. That's what I was hoping for. I wasn't expecting him to to be the best blocker in the world. As long as he's average, that means he's going to be in there in every formation and every personnel package. That's what we want. Okay, it's fine. He's on the field first and foremost as a pass catcher. And he's not going to hurt you in running situations. That's a check mark. Now, it was also interesting. As I was scrolling down this list of tight end run blocking grades... I saw some other tight ends where there were some run-blocking red flags in play. The bottom cohort of tight ends in the run-blocking category on Pro Football Focus, one of them is Jordan Cameron. He stinks at run-blocking, and that's a problem because Deion Sims is good. Deion Sims is a big, relatively athletic tight end. And so if you're if you're a Jordan Cameron dynasty owner, that's a red flag. It's also it's also a minor red flag even for redraft in 2015. Because I do believe that, especially in the red zone, I think that Deion Sims is going to he he I think he's gonna have to cannibalize targets from Jordan Cameron. Because if you think about it intuitively, there are gonna be plenty of situations where the defense is looking run and the Dolphins decide to to zig when the defense thinks they're going to zag and then call a pass play. Deion Sims is going to be in on a lot of those situations. Those A lot of those situations could be near the goal line. So I wouldn't assume that Jordan Cameron is going to get the kind of red zone target share that you might think from a starting tight end. Vernon Davis was also near the bottom of the list. 
which was a red flag because when you combine the fact that he got very few he received very few targets last year and was a terrible run blocker huge hugely concerning for Vernon Davis's future Richard Rodgers was also on there that's a concern this is a player that there is some hope that he will ascend meanwhile Andrew Corliss is saying not so fast Larry Donald is on there now, I'm not worried about Larry Donald because there's nobody else. There's no other tight ends on of consequence on the New York Giants roster. So if there's one player who has awful grade in terms of tight end run blocking that you can just shrug your shoulders on, it's Larry Donald. Niles Paul is another one near the bottom. Here's the problem with Niles Paul. I think there's some hope that Niles Paul one day could be a starting tight end in this league. He won't be. He never will be. He's built like a receiver. He will never be a great run blocker. He will never be a full-time tight end. Therefore, he will never be a tight end one in fantasy. Another player, Michael Rivera. Michael Rivera, Michael Rivera, is it Michael Rivera or Michael Rivera? Let me know. Contact the show, at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Is it Michael or, or, or Mikel? So, Rivera... Checked in at dead last. So what does that mean? It means that Clive Walford, who was the second tight end drafted in the 2015 NFL Draft, is now the best pass-catching and best run-blocking tight end on the Oakland Raiders. That means he's a great guy to be drafting in Dynasty Leagues. I like Clive Walford a lot. He's undervalued across the board in both redraft and Dynasty. And the reason is the presence of Mikel Rivera. But then you look at Rivera's run-blocking grade and you're like, oh, wait, if he's not special in the passing game and he's an awful blocker, why the hell is he playing? And Clive Walford's mom is sitting there going, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. My son should be playing on every down. And I agree with you, Mrs. Walford. Oh, by the way, you know who is just above... Mikel, Michael Rivera on that list. Antonio Gates. Antonio Gates. An abomination in the run-blocking department. This is the problem. Assuming that, that Gates will be back after four games. Not necessarily. Antonio Gates looked washed up three years ago. And then suddenly found the fountain of youth also known as HGH. Now he's off PADs because he got caught, doesn't want to get caught again. What's going to happen to his game? Think about it. Again, think critically before you just assume he's going to be back to what he was in week five of the 2015 season. I believe Ladarius Green will be the Chargers' best pass catching and, as we just saw, most likely their best blocking tight end as well. And then Antonio Gates, he can be the F tight end, the move tight end. I love how people overrate the move tight end too. Oh, oh he's going to be the move tight end. Ooh, that's a good thing. That's the pass catching role. The F position on the football field is the most overrated designation in all of fantasy. The move tight end means 
you're not playing most of the time. The move tight end means sometimes we, we play you in the slot. Otherwise, you don't really play. So why is that a positive thing? You hear this about a lot of players, a lot of tight ends. Jacob Tammy. Ooh, he's going to be the F position, the move tight end for the Atlanta Falcons. That's not good. If that's the case, I'd rather have Moiaki. Thank you very much. It's a total fallacy that the move tight end is the tight end that you want. If Antonio Gates comes back and he's relegated to move tight end and Ladarius Green is the every down tight end, you want Ladarius Green, not Antonio Gates. The other reason, the final reason you want Ladarius Green, last year in 2014, the San Diego Chargers accounted for 125 total tight end targets. That was a lot. The opportunity for Ladarius Green is enormous. 125 tight end targets on the Chargers last year. Gronkowski in 2015, only 131. Amazing. Amazing opportunity for an amazing athlete in Ladarius Green. Another buzzard writes in, Why didn't you talk about Arian Foster when you were discussing DeMarco Murray? Well, because Arian Foster isn't in the same conversation as Jamal Charles and Eddie Lacy and those players. Arian Foster is the poster child for injury-prone in the NFL. Go ahead. When you look it up on Wikipedia, look up injury-prone, you see a picture of a Texans running back, number 23, writhing on the ground. I don't use the term injury-prone lightly. I very rarely use it. How many times have you heard me use the word injury-prone on this show? Probably three times. When DeMarco Murray misses a bunch of games early in his career with a similar string of injuries to what Matt Forte experienced early in his career, that doesn't make DeMarco Murray injury-prone any more than it made Matt Forte injury-prone a few years earlier. But Arian Foster is going to be 29 when the season starts. And he is actually injury-prone. Because if you go to playerprofiler.com and you click on the medical icon, you look at the medical history report, over the last three years, he's suffered the following injuries. Knee strain, strained hamstring, strained calf, bruised thumb, strained back, where he missed eight games. Strained hamstring. Strained hamstring again. Bruised ribs. Strained hamstring again. Missed games. Strained groin. Bruised knee. Strained groin again, where he missed games. Bruised hip. So, here is a player that has, has a litany of injuries, mostly to the lower body. And what happens once you have a number of injuries to the same body parts physiologically what happens you suffer from degraded muscle fiber stretch connective tissue layers of scar tissue throughout the lower body that's what Arian Foster is now that's why he's injury prone this isn't one random knee strain this isn't one random high ankle sprain the 15 separate injuries some to the same area of the body over a three-year period 
So I believe Arian Foster, at 29 years old, with that injury history, is injury prone. He actually is injury prone. He is one of the few players in the league that I think you can say definitively is injury prone. And he's not injury prone for the same reasons that Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch is also injury prone. But Marshawn Lynch is injury prone because he's five years past the age apex for the running back position. He's injury prone because he has over 2,000 carries on his odometer. Arian Foster isn't that old. Yeah, 29, but we've seen plenty of running backs have an, an RB1 year when they're 29. But it's the fact that he's 29, he's four years past the running back, the, he's four years past the running back age apex, and he has that list of injuries. It's not anything to do with the number of carries. That's what's interesting about Arian Foster. He only has 1,391 carries on his odometer. That's not the problem. He's injury prone for a completely different reason that Marshawn Lynch is injury prone. Marshawn Lynch has the carries, but doesn't have a history of injury. Arian Foster has a history of injury without the carries. But beyond this notion that Marshawn Lynch and Arian Foster are injury prone, there's another reason why, I think a bigger reason, a more important reason why, I'm ranking DeMarco Murray ahead of Arian Foster and ahead of Marshawn Lynch. It's the offenses that they operate in. The Seahawks had the lowest volume offense in the National Football League last year. That's a problem. But at least the Seahawks, at least Marshawn Lynch, has Russell Wilson sustaining drives. At least he has that. Arian Foster's quarterback? His name is Brian Hoyer. And if Foster is lucky, if he's lucky, his quarterback's name will be Ryan Mallett. <laughs>